All right. So we will be in Exodus chapter 6 this morning, so if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and flip over there. Before we jump in, uh, a few things that, that I want to ad- address uh, from the front this morning before we, d- we jump in. One is what's happening in our world, and two is what's happening with our church. And so uh, the first is talk about what's going on in the world. I don't, unless you're under a rock, um, there was a, a big decision made this week that directly impacts our church. And not just our church, the branch, Little C but the big C church uh, across our country. And the overturning of Roe means that it really is time for us to step up. It's one thing for us to talk a lot. Uh, now's the time for us as Christ followers to say, no child's left unloved, not a single one. And that's our commitment uh, just with our partners, with, the, with Caleb and the ministry that he's involved in, uh, in within foster care a call to adoption, a call to caring for moms, moms moms-to-be, caring for young men who find themselves being uh, young dads. Um, It is a small step, right? I I just even thought of uh, Neil Armstrong, right? It's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. This is just a small step towards a bigger... The the war's not over yet. The the fight has just begun. And uh, now it's up to us as brothers and sisters, as sons and daughters of a perfect God, uh, to step up for these little image bearers. And uh, I want us to covenant to doing that. And um, life is better than death. We say that every week. Life is better than death. That's true today. It was true 50 years ago. It'll be true 50 years from now. It'll be true 500 years from now. Life is always better than death. And uh, it's our job to bring that good news to the people around us. And so um, as we move into uh, studying Exodus, I, I want to just, that it needs to be our prayer. It's an interesting text, Exodus 6, knowing what's happening in the week. And so um, with, in regards to our church, let me shift to doing that. Um, Big week for our church as we launch our first ever sports camp. Speaking of kids and loving them well, um, if you're around and you're available and you want to step in and help, we can always use more volunteers, but we start tomorrow right here at 9 o'clock, I think. And so Jordan and her team, I know uh, Seth and Hannah Perkins have been really involved. There's a lot of people behind the scenes who've helped pull this off, and so kudos to you guys. Um, And if you're around, uh, come support. If you're not around, would you commit to praying for the kids, for the leaders, people in the community who might drive by and wonder what's happening, uh, that in all of that, they would hear the good news that uh, God saves. So uh, let's, let's pray, and then we'll jump into Exodus chapter 6. Okay? Father, we thank you for this morning. We just thank you for a time to gather together as the church, as the body of Christ God, our hearts uh, mourn for uh, 63 million, this is the last number I saw, uh, image bearers who never got to take a breath. And so we trust that they are with you and that they are with you face to face and their first breath was in your presence. And so, God, I pray now that you would help us as the church uh, to rally around our communities who are uh, just either on one side or the other, uh, that we would love well. Let, it, let, us, let that be our covenant, that we would be a people who start and end with the love that you've shown us. And so we trust you in that. We pray this week for our church and our community, our kids who will be involved, uh, the kids from around the community that would come. We pray that they would have fun, safe 
time in this environment of sports camp, and that most of all, that they would hear a little drips of the gospel uh, that you would use to grow full seeds of salvation in their life. So we love you, we trust you, and we pray now as we jump into Exodus chapter 6 that you would guide our every step. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Um, I love that psalm that we read. I hope you know that the psalms that we pick at the pre-service or whatever scripture we read in our in, kind of welcome time is intentional. It's not we just flip, a, flip the Bible open and say, let's read from here. Uh, psalm 55 has a lot for us today, and I just want us to start before we jump into reading Exodus 6, 1 through 13 with this, this verse from Psalm 55. This is verse 22. It says, cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. He's on our side. He's on your side. And uh, as we continue to study uh, the story of Exodus, I think that is a healthy, helpful reminder uh, that he will sustain us. And so if you're new to the branch, we've been doing a verse-by-verse study of the book of Exodus. So we are halfway through with the first half of our series on Exodus. So that's good. That's good. Um, So let's just go ahead and jump in and read it. This is Exodus chapter 6, verse 1, and we're going to read down through 13. So this is the word of the Lord. In fact, I'm going to jump back up, if you're okay with it, to chapter 5, verse 22. Let that kind of be what kicks us off, and then we'll jump into chapter 6. So this is Exodus 5, 22. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name... He has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Verse 1. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. As God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Verse 5 Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Verse 9. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. So as we're in this story of Exodus, we really kind of get a summary right there in the first 13 chapters of 
or first uh, 13 verses of chapter 6. There, there are three gospel truths that I think that we need to glean from this particular text. And then obviously it bleeds into uh, the next couple of weeks as we begin to start to see the, uh, the plagues that will hit Egypt. The first gospel truth is this, that God is in control. So if you've been around, these gospel truths aren't new. They're just magnified in this text. And so if it kind of sounds like we're a record on repeat, that's because so far the people of Israel had needed God's promises and God's covenant to be repeated to them multiple times because they have yet to believe it. That's even true so far in Exodus chapter 6. So if you're thinking, man, this guy's only got one sermon all in uh, Exodus, that's because I do, okay? So the first gospel truth that we need to understand is that God is in control, okay? God is the one who sustains us. This is what we're reading in Psalm 55. Last week, we talked about this idea of discouragement. God is the one we fight. We fight discouragement with God's truth, right? So God fights the discouragement in our own lives by giving us his truth through his word and through the truth of the people that he's placed around us. Many believers believe in God's sovereignty theologically, Right? We think that we believe, so basically what we mean when we say God is sovereign is that He is in control of everything. We believe in God's sovereignty with our brains, but we sometimes don't believe it with our hearts. Have you ever been there? You know who God is in your brain, but your heart doesn't respond in kind. There's doubt, there's fear, there's anxieties, there's uh, depression, things that are inside of you that your brain knows are lies, but your heart is telling you that they're true. And so sometimes we believe in God's sovereignty theologically, but practically we're emotional train wrecks. That's the state of being human, by the way. Okay? The truth of who God is has steeped itself into, we have to have it steeped into our, the depths of our heart. So once it goes from our brain into our heart, then our full self has believed that God is in control. That gospel truth has permeated into who we are. Right? And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. God is working all things for the good of his people. That's his promise in his word. Okay? That's what he has said he is going to do. The second gospel truth is that God keeps his covenant. Right? We've said it a lot, that God keeps his promises. Okay? I don't see uh, Jeff and uh, the Stulls. Where's Beth? She's always the one who's like, you know, she goes both, you know, both of them up. But God keeps his promises. Okay? This is the one thing that we keep saying on repeat because the world around us tells us that God's a promise breaker. How could a good God do this? That's a promise broken, right? And yet God is continuing to fulfill his covenant, specifically through redemption. And I think what we see here is that there are two motives of God's redemption to the people of Israel. The first motive is his covenant. It's because he said it was what he was going to do, right? He's committed to the covenant. He is going to fulfill it. The second thing is his knowledge of the oppressed. What's happening to the people of Israel is not beyond him. He has not forgotten the burdens of his people. This is what Exodus is constantly reminding us. God has not forgotten them. While it may appear, it may feel like God has forgotten them, he has not. Okay? It is outside of his character for, to forget the burdens of his people. Okay? That is not who he is. So one of our primary goals in studying the Bible verse by verse is to study who God is, his nature and his character, okay? And when we do that, we, we begin to understand that God has awareness and kindness and mercy towards his people, all right? So all of God's promises are perfectly fulfilled in Jesus, okay? Every promise to date 
in Exodus. And there's a bunch of promises in this text. We're going to get there, right? There's seven statements that Yahweh gives to Moses. Those seven statements are perfectly fulfilled in Christ, okay? Ultimately, we've said this before, that to understand Exodus theologically, we must read it Christologically, okay? We must understand how this points us towards Jesus Christ. And when we do, then we've understood what God was trying to do here in Exodus, okay? So my hope and my prayer today as we study these gospel truths is that we will begin to understand who God is and the promises that he has fulfilled through his son Jesus. The third gospel truth is that God saves, plain and simple. God saves, okay? So we have three gospel truths. God's in control. God keeps his covenant. God keeps his promise. And God saves, all right? That is what he is committing to doing in Exodus. So what I, where I want to spend the majority of our time, so those are our three gospel truths, and now I want to work through a, a handful of gospel principles, okay? So we, if we know these truths, now what does it mean, okay? It's, right, this is what we were just saying. It's one thing to know and understand them. It's another thing to believe them, all right? And so I want us to talk about some gospel principles that will help us along the way, but we can't fully do that we can't fully understand it until we sit, spend time studying these I will statements. And so I'm not going to reread the text, but I am going to reread um, these I will statements. So these start in uh, verse 6, okay? The first one that we see is that I will, and this is the Lord speaking, Lord being all caps, um, meaning Yahweh, okay? This is the great I am. I am who I am. He says, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, right? That's what they needed to hear, okay? That's what God's people needed to hear. The people of Israel, the Hebrews, needed to hear that. They've been told that, but they needed to hear it again, okay? I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. The second one that will lead us to our first gospel principle is that I will deliver you from slavery, okay? Now, let's put this into context of who we are, right? We are slaves to sin freed through Christ, okay? So there's still sin in the world. Did you know that? There's still sin in your life, Spoiler alert for some of you, right? There's still sin. That is the sin in your life, by the way. I'm just calling you out now, (laughs) okay? There's still sin in our life, right? The consequence of sin has been removed. It's been taken, paid for, stamped. It's over, okay? Sin is still in the world, all right? All you have to do is walk outside the door or stay in this room long enough and you'll see it, okay? But the consequence for that sin, which the Bible says is death, okay? Are we good there? That's it. That's what the Bible says. There's no, like, there's no second seat in heaven. You don't get further down the table. It is just death, okay? The consequence of sin is death. So this is a very real game, all right? The consequence of sin is death. I will deliver you from slavery. This statement is saying I will deliver you from the ultimate slavery, which is death, sin and death, okay? So what God is, what Yahweh is doing now is he's pointing towards Jesus, who's the ultimate fulfillment of this promise, Okay, so Moses, we talked about this, is Moses never gets into the promised land. Okay, he sees it, but he never gets to touch it. He never gets the dust in his nose and his eyes. He never gets to put his feet in the sand. He never walks across the path into the promised land. But he is in the promised land, ultimately in the presence of a perfect God. That is the ultimate promised land. You do understand that it's not a geograph- there is a geographical promised land. There is also an eternal promised land. Okay, and those are being fulfilled. So God is sending his people to a promised land. Moses doesn't get to go there. He does get to go to the promised land that is eternity with God. The ultimate reconciliation, the ultimate redemption. 
The ultimate, I will deliver you from slavery. So the first gospel principle is this, that God's salvation brings liberation from our bondage to sin. It's freedom, okay? Not license. It's freedom, okay? So it's the fact that when you are aware of, oh, you know what? This is sin in my life, recognizing it, calling it out, repenting, and then moving on, okay? Now, again, you're not moving away from sin entirely, but you're saying, I'm going to work, I'm going to covenant to not do this because I believe this. There is a freedom. I am no longer a slave of sin. You heard the song? We've sung it a few times. We're no longer slaves. We're not. We, are, we have been freed. So what I want to do is I want us to read a few New Testament passages, right? Because we need to see the Christological implications here. You don't have to go there. You can if you want. If you're really good at the Bible drill, we're going to be in Galatians 4 and then Ephesians chapter 1, okay? So there are more verses in Ephesians 1, and they're in two of the principles. So if you want to cheat, get to Ephesians first, okay? But the first one is Galatians. So there you go. This is Galatians chapter 4. Listen to what it says. This is Paul writing. This is verses 4 through 7. It says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Okay? We're going to get to the law in a little while in Exodus, a few months. To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive, what is that word? If you're there, say it. Adoption, okay, as sons, okay, adoption as sons, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, both of those having exclamation marks. There's energy behind that statement. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. So the first gospel principle is that God's salvation brings liberation from our bondage to sin, amen? Amen. I hope, I hope you heard that. There's freedom. All right, the second gospel principle is this, and it comes from the third I will statement. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. The, the second principle is it is God who redeems us through his work and his power. It is God. It's God who does it. It's God who wills it, and it's God who fulfills it. All right? It is God who redeems us through his work. This is from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 uh, through 10. It says, In him we have redemption through his, Christ Jesus, through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the richness of whose grace? His, the one who gave his blood. Okay? Verse 8, which is lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. To unite all things, things in heaven and things on earth. Have you heard of the already not yet theological principle? You can say yes, because I'm about to tell you, okay? So yes, but not yet, but I'm about to, okay? So the, the already not yet principle is, is really an eschatological principle. Fancy word, aren't you proud? right? Be super impressed, okay? Um, I'm joking. If you're new here, no egos. Eschatology is the study of the end times, okay? That's all we're saying is we're studying what is God going to do at the end, all right? Which ultimately is to make all things new, okay? This is what we see in Revelation. We see this through the Gospels, that God's going to make all things new in him, for him, by him, through him, okay? That is what God is up to, so this idea of already not yet is that the kingdom of God has already begun in this world. Here we are. 
Okay, we are a glimpse into the kingdom of God. Brothers and sisters who gather together to worship God. This is what we'll be doing in eternity, by the way. The preaching is much better. Okay? So what we have is this all, the kingdom is already here, and yet it's not fulfilled yet. Okay, there's still a coming culmination, a consummation of all things when everything's made new. Okay, things, and this is why God uses us to participate in the life of the world, which is why the things with abortion issues are such a big deal for the church, is because as the church participates in there, we're giving the world around us a glimpse into what the kingdom of heaven is going to look like. Can I tell you that there's no death there? That's one, that's one of the areas, I know we've been working on this, we have a, a, a class afterwards where we work on our amens, um, you're all invited, okay? That's one of the ones where you can say amen or just do that, anything, okay? All right? So the second gospel principle is it is God who redeems. It's not Moses. It's not me. It's not the elders of our church, and it's not you. It's God who redeems us through his work and through his power. Okay, the next two I will statements. So we're in Numbers 4 and 5. It says, I will take you. This is our memory verse, by the way. So if you've been studying, the, if you've leveraged the Exodus guide in your home, this is, we've had one memory verse for the entire first part of our Exodus study. This is, this is it, okay? It's Exodus 6, verse 7. Let's just, I'm going to read it again, and then we'll jump into this I will statement. It says, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know, you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. It was a knowledge problem, not just in their heads, but in their hearts, that the Hebrew people had forgotten. Okay, so I will take you to be my people. That's the fourth I will statement. And then what does he say in the same sentence? I will be your God. This is the gospel. So the third gospel principle is that God makes us his own, adopting us into his family. Okay, what was Christ's is now ours. Okay, and that will lead us to our fourth principle in just a second. But I want you to listen to this. You don't have to go there. This is from the gospel of John. Uh, in the first chapter, if you, if you know anything about the Gospel of John, the first chapter is a, is a powerful, powerful chapter uh, about the nature and character of Jesus specifically, okay? So listen to what this says. It says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Verse 11 says, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children. And not just any children, but his children, children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So the third gospel principle is that God makes us us his own, adopting us into his family. So the, the last two I will statements, number six and number seven, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give, and I will give it to you for a possession. So I'm going to take you there, and I'm going to give you ownership. It's yours, right? So it's one thing for me to invite you into my home. It's another thing for me to invite you into my home and then give you the deed. Which one is more generous? To have the deed. You can't have it, but God's giving you his deed, right? So it's one thing for us to be invited into a space. It's another thing for that space then to to become ours, all right? So I will bring you into the land that I swore to give, and I will give it to you for a possession. It leads us to the fourth gospel principle. And I don't know if you're allowed to have favorites. This is one of my favorites. There is an inheritance waiting for those who trust and follow God. So an inheritance, there it was. 
He was the one who was at last week's class. Uh, there is an inheritance to be given. And what, what is an inheritance? What is it? It's someone's stuff becoming someone else's stuff. It's someone's rights. It's someone's place. It's someone's title now becoming someone else's. Okay? The way it works in our world is someone has to die for inheritance to be given. Right? So when I die, Lord willing, 85 years from now, 185 years from now, I don't know, this cryo stuff, we'll see what happens. My inheritance goes to my kids. Yeah, I don't want to live that long either, right? So, but I have to die, all right? This was the problem in the prodigal son story, which we talked about a handful of weeks ago, was the younger son was wishing the death of his father so he could go ahead and get the stuff, okay? That, that's, that's upside down, that's wrong, all right? It's evil. That's sin engulfing an individual. But an inheritance requires death. And what we specifically see in this gospel principle is the death of Christ gives us the title of Christ. He is the son of God. Now we become children of God. Do you get it? So Christ had to die a full death, like dead, dead, right? Buried. And then he's raised. And now we have a new name, Christian, Christ follower, okay? So listen to Ephesians, back in Ephesians chapter 1. We're, gonna, this, we're just picking up where we left off in verse 10. This is verse 11. It says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to, praise, to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So as the people of Israel eventually get to leave Egypt, they do get to leave Egypt, by the way, eventually sin has no more reign in this world. God's people eventually get to leave Egypt, and they begin to wonder. They're going to go through the, some, some wilderness. It doesn't necessarily get easier once they leave Egypt. This is one of the biggest problems that the Hebrew people are about to face. But as they leave Egypt, they're going to a land, a land that they can't see, a land that they don't know much of, but a land that is promised, a land that will be an inheritance. So these four gospel principles are fulfilled in Christ. So in Christ, we have been freed. In Christ, we have been redeemed. In Christ, we've been adopted. In Christ, we've been given an inheritance. That's the gospel, guys. This is Exodus. This is the story of what God is doing. And so do we feel like we're on repeat? Yeah, because we need to be reminded. It's so easy to leave here and to feel like a slave. It's so easy to, to leave here and feel unredeemed, to feel a prisoner. It's easy to leave here and to feel like you're an orphan. It's easy to leave here and feel like you have nothing, but you've been adopted. You've been given an inheritance. You no longer have just any seat at the table. You have Jesus' seat at the table which, by the way, is the right hand of the Father. That's the inheritance. It's not golden streets. It's not riches and glory. It's the presence of God. That's it. That's what we get. That is the inheritance. And so all of these fools, is this okay? I'm going to say fools. All these fools who get one of these and have one of these who are telling you riches and prosperity here on earth, 
We cannot fall for that. Because the ultimate riches, the ultimate glory is when we stand face to face with a perfect, loving Father who says, you're mine. You're mine. I've given you a name. I've given you an inheritance. And they no longer look at the baggage, right? That kind of gets dropped at the door. And you've been set free. In Christ, we've been freed, redeemed, adopted, and given an inheritance. Philip Ryken, who's a uh, theologian wrote a commentary on uh, the Exodus, on the book of Exodus. He says this, which I think is helpful for us. He says, they were so broken, talking about the people of Israel, the Hebrews, they were so broken. Maybe we put a bunch of O's after so. Like he, They were so broken, okay? It doesn't say that in his book. I'm just adding that. They were so broken that they would not and they could not listen to the promise of freedom. That's the danger of bondage. When you feel like it's the only thing for you, that's when slavery has done its purpose. When you've lost hope, you're discouraged, there's no end in sight, Christ comes. He comes there. And he doesn't just cut your chain, he takes the chain. He takes the chain off of your ankle and he puts it on his. That's the inheritance. In the midst of our faithlessness. God is always faithful. It's true for the people of Israel. It's true for us today. And so while our world continues to spiral out of control and the fighting continues, would we be that beacon of faith? Would we be the beacon of hope? Would we be the ones standing saying, you know what, hey, there is a story of ultimate slavery and bondage and those people are set free by the work of a good and perfect and loving God. Who cares deeply for you? You are not alone. That sounds like a story that we should be telling the people in our communities, the people in our cities, the people in our nation's capital, the people who are running the daggum capital. Sorry for saying daggum. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that or not. All right? <laughs> We've got to be light in a world that knows only darkness. That's who we are. We're little lights pointing towards a greater light. That light is the thing that sets us free. It gives us purpose. It gives us direction. It gives us clarity in our calling, which we know is to go and make disciples. So that's what we're going to covenant to do. So what is the branch's response to what's happening in the world? This is it. This is it. We're going to keep proclaiming the gospel. We're going to keep living the gospel in community. And we're going to continue to try to reach and meet the needs of every person in our community in any way possible. If that means inviting them in, we invite them in. If that means going to them, we go to them. If that means collecting things, we collect things. That's what we have to do. That is the call of the Christian in the world. In the midst of faithlessness, God is faithful. Amen? Amen. I want to pray, and then I want to close this out and lead us into a time of communion. But let's just spend a minute uh, praying and thanking the Lord for what he's done, what he's doing and what he has promised to do in and through Christ. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time to gather and to study your word. God, I'm grateful for the story of Exodus being an example to us, being a story of us, those who are bound to sin, slaves to sin. God, we're set free in Christ. I thank you for that story. I pray that we would never stop telling it. I thank you for the freedom. I thank you for redemption and adoption. I thank you for the inheritance that you've given us. 
Lord, we're grateful for this church, and we're grateful for the brothers and sisters who call this place their home. God, I pray for our kids as they gather this week again, Lord. We're just so grateful to be in a place and have an opportunity to serve the children of our community in a very tangible way. So I pray that those stories from this week will echo throughout eternity. God, I'm grateful for this church and just to, to be a part of it. And I pray that you would continue to call us towards faithfulness, fruitfulness, life with Christ. We love you. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Um, the, this is kind of an announcement. It's kind of a, just clarity on a few things. But um, Dylan was up here a couple weeks ago as, as he was preaching. And um, he announced that he would be moving. At the time, he thought he was going to Hawaii. Ha <laughs> Joke was on him. He's not. Um, he got redirected uh, to New York, which is just as good as Hawaii, is what I've heard. Um, oh, man, that gets, that gets the crowd rowdy. Okay, that's good, that's good. Um, anyways, more important than where he's going is when he will be leaving, okay? And so what I want to do is I, I just want us to press in. So July the 10th, which is two weeks from today, will be uh, Dylan and Macy's last Sunday here. And so I'm doing this with them in the room, knowing that we're not going to have another opportunity to do it until the 10th. But please be here on July the 10th, okay? Uh, We understand if you can't be here. Dylan is one of the OG branch people, so he was here from the very beginning when it was like in a little closet in the Dodds house. And um, he, he has done more for this church than you can possibly know. Okay, and and Macy has been just the faithful partner who's always. I mean, she, I mean, they open their house like eight days a week. Okay, and uh, so we want to send them well. We we say this about the branch. We did this when Gabe and Bree left. Like, this is a river church. This is a place. We're a church that's sending people. Right. I mean, the Dixons are about to move, and we we're always saying uh, gospel goodbyes to people, and we get to do this for Dylan and Macy in a couple weeks. So, would you make? Uh, plans to be here. We're still trying to figure out details on this because it kind of sprung up on us. Um, but we'll, we'll, we will do a lunch after church, so that's why I'm try- trying to tell you now. I don't know what that looks like at all. So if, you, if you're interested in helping plan some of that, come find me. I could use your help. All right? So July the 10th, please be here. Um, but let's close then, and let's go respond to the word of the Lord from Exodus chapter 6 by taking communion, okay? Um, as Riley and Megan come, I'm just going to go ahead and read from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, which is uh, the text that gives so much richness uh, to our time at the table, okay? Listen to the word. Uh, this is, uh, sorry, it's chapter 11. It says, In the following instructions I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there is division among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat, for in eating each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat or drink in, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Listen to this. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it 
in remembrance with me. Come and let's remember. Amen.